the headphones are on, all the microphones are up, and it is time to get going on another exciting audio excursion into information that we call the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network. Wow. Where'd Maybe we should from? start with Brandon. I think he probably has better news right now than what I have. I do have good news. Let's do that. Let's up in the apple cart and really? start with a backup that? sports guy first. Right. <laughs> that may just unseat the whole... We might not we might not even have an eclipse if that produces enough of a shockwave in the universe if we do that. if we do backup sports first before farm here on midday roundtable that may just butterfly affect the entire universe out of balance my second half of ag news is okay it's the front half that people aren't going to like <laughs> well it's like taking medicine let's just get it out of the way first then <laughs> let's do it Let's do the traditional thing and get the bad news out of the way first, Jesse. The WASD report was negative. I'm sorry. It's not my fault. I'm just bringing you the bad it's news. It's messenger thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so we'll talk about the WASD at uh, the 1213, at the 1219. Dewey Nelson's going to talk with Grant Frey of Water Street Solutions about the market's reaction to the report, which is pretty much lower across the board in the grains right now. Soybeans down double digits. For the newsmaker, moving past all that, Chad Moyer visits with Central Valley Ag. The agronomy RD manager is Mike Swingham about their RD innovation series for field days. Wrapping up today in northeast Nebraska, they had stops over last week in Cuba, Kansas, and Bellwood, Nebraska, along with today's in Randolph, Nebraska. And then for the 117, I am with Jordan Dukes. He's the director of national affairs with the Nebraska Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau is holding policy development meetings across the state this week and into the next couple of weeks as well in one of their topics of conversation something we don't really hear that much about is livestock biotechnology we hear a lot about about crop biotechnology sure not necessarily livestock biotechnology so we'll have more about what that actually is at the 117 very good we'll listen for it all and thank you let's move on over to sports where we can counteract that bad news from the WASD with Brandon Bennett. We do indeed have good news, at least if you're a baseball fan, especially from the state of Nebraska. The Kearney Little Leaguers, representing the state, just got a home run in the bottom of the fifth to, to extend their lead. They did have one run in the bottom of the third, and they got that big home run in the bottom of the fifth, so now they lead 2-0 over Iowa in an elimination game. Right now, Iowa is batting in the top of the sixth, so if the Kearney Little Leaguers can hold on for another half inning, they will advance in the elimination bracket. Absolutely great. Where good news there, for them the Iowa team from? Do you know? Offhand? I think it's Johnstown, Johnstown, Jonestown. It starts with a J. I saw that on their jersey earlier. Okay, very good. All right, let's move on over to the business corner with Bob Brogan. Stocks are falling in midday trading on Wall Street, and uh, a lot of it's because of nervousness out there. Simmering tensions between the U.S. and North Korea continue to weigh on investors, and uh, the VIX is up. What is the VIX? The it's VIX? a measure of how much volatility that investors expect in mm. stocks, and it's jumped to its highest level since May. So keep that in mind, the VIX. Anyway, uh, in other action, um, jobless claims are, have ticked up. Wholesale prices have dipped slightly, and uh, so we're watching that situation. Um, also, the Postal Service just more pro problems there, uh, more red ink, missed mm. payments as mm. mail service slumps. So that's 
another issue that the business world is following. Thank you, Bob. We'll follow that VIX, too. The only thing VIX I know is VIX Vapor Rub. rub. Yeah. 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 No. Same. A little different than that. All right. Well, uh, it's all coming up for you today on Midday. Another ag weather going on here for you with Paul Perkins. High pressure drops in tomorrow. That'll keep the central and east dry with sunshine. Could see still some smaller chances of thunderstorms remaining in the west, but unsettled weather quickly returns tomorrow night and much of the weekend as we see a parade of disturbances tracked to the southeast. The main and strongest disturbance moves through Saturday. Those thunderstorms late in the day on Saturday could be severe. The Weather Prediction Center is still continuing to hold on to that forecast of widespread 1 to 2 inch rain totals over the next seven days. There is high confidence that temperatures will remain cooler for three straight weeks on into Wednesday. So we've been in an excessively long period here of some cooler than normal weather. There is a slight pattern change hinted on Monday as we start seeing more of a westerly flow and that will result in smaller thunderstorm chances and also slightly warmer temperatures. That is reflected in our long-term forecast for Nebraska and Kansas. The temperature forecast starts out cooler than normal the middle part of next week. Then we start trending into near normal late next week through August 23rd. Above normal rainfall is the forecast for Nebraska and Kansas most of the time from Tuesday through the 23rd but that precipitation forecast starting to hint at trends towards near-normal rainfall in the later period, so not as unsettled. There was a slight improvement in the latest drought monitor. Nearly all of Nebraska right now at least abnormally dry. The exceptions are in the south-central from Elwood to Minden and points to the south and also over southeast Nebraska. The moderate drought area now smaller, and it covers Valentine and Ainsworth to northwest Custer County and much of the northeast. Valentine and Ainsworth previously in severe drought there's still severe drought in the extreme northeast corner of Nebraska. Much of central Kansas abnormally dry. There is moderate drought, though, from Smith Center to Mankato, south to the Arkansas River. Weather factors in the market include a cool pattern with limited rain chances in the Corn Belt and Northern Plains, dryness issues in the western Corn Belt and Canadian Prairies, and rain the next few days in the Southern Plains wheat area. Cooler weather and rain chances are increasing across much of the central and eastern U.S., the greater chances, though, in the southeast part of the U.S., hot and smoky conditions will persist in much of the northwest through the weekend. They've had a very difficult situation out there with the heat and also having to deal with wildfire smoke just getting trapped in the air. The cooler weather in much of the Midwest and northern plains favorable for filling corn and soybeans, but much of the Corn Belt and northern plains not expecting significant moisture the next seven days. Drought stress continues in southwest Iowa in parts of Illinois. It's even drier in the northern plains, especially Montana. They had their third hottest and second driest July on record. The southern plains expects moderate to locally heavy rain the next five days to benefit soil moisture before they start planting winter wheat next month. And in much of Ukraine and Russia, crop yield prospects remain near to above normal due to above normal rainfall the past 30 days in much of their region. Ag Weather with Paul Perkins, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. But out of all that, not much you can do to counteract this WASD report. No, exactly. I, you know, we're going to get some favorable moisture, so that will definitely help the crops around here. Yeah. So uh, we do have some good chances for rain in the forecast. So a lot of people been on the have-not side of these rains, so it's going to be a yeah. big benefit to a lot of people. Right. So I guess the good thing is, uh, at least in the local and regional area where you've gotten your rain, you'll have plenty of grain to sell. At no profit. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com.
agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Farmers unfortunately got a bearish report in today's World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates report today. Joe Gangwish has reaction. Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics says he's lost confidence that we can now see a pre-harvest rally based on today's numbers. I am truly at a loss at the ability of this report to give you even worse numbers than what we saw in July. They, they took world wheat ending stocks up another 1.5%. You essentially have nowhere to turn other than a small yield reduction in corn. Uh, you have nowhere to turn for a reason for this market to go higher going into, into, the, into the harvest at this stage of the game. Even with all these private crop estimates coming out on corn yields, USDA took the feed and residual down 25 million bushels. They took exports down 25 million bushels. We still have, in their minds, over a 2.2 billion bushel carryover. And that means we don't need to go any higher than 360 in lead month corn, if my price model is correct. Zuzalo says he was hoping for a little friendlier numbers in today's report so we could get a short-covering rally going into harvest. Here on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. And USDA did trim the estimate of average U.S. corn yield to 169.5 bushels per acre. That's down from 174.6 of last year and above the pre-report estimates. That nudged the agency's new crop corn production estimate down to 14.2 billion bushels, which is down from last year's bin buster crop of 15.1 billion bushels. Soybean yield and production were actually increased to 49.4 bushels per acre and a 4.4 billion bushels, which which is also past the pre-estimate reports. At the final stop today on the Central Valley Ag RD Innovation Series in Randolph, farmers had a look at an updated precision ag program designed to speed up the process on in-season fertilizer decisions. Mike Zwigmag of Agronomy and RD Manager at CVA. We've really tried to put their, our trusted advisor back in the position of where that relationship between him and the grower makes for faster fertilizer decisions to where we have a, a platform that we can trust in the way it makes our recommendations based on how we were making them before, but shortens the time between soil sampling to spreading by being able to make those decisions and changes of those prescriptions live with the grower to where the grower is most comfortable with the decision and fully knows what his operational spend is on that that application the minute we make that prescription. Zwingman says that the corn has taken up the majority of the nitrogen that it's going to need for the season. However, we need a long fall with sunny days to get that plant to use the nitrogen and finish with lots of grain fill. In Kansas Corn District, Listening Tour is making six stops this month. It's the second year for the Listening Tour that takes Kansas corn farmer leaders and staff to each of the nine crop reporting districts in the state. These districts were visited earlier this year. Three of them were. And each breakfast or dinner meeting features an update on programs of the Kansas Corn Commission as well as issues updated from Kansas Corn Growers Association. However, the goal of the tour is to receive input from growers. And more information about the dates, times, and locations of these events can be found by visiting RollRadio.com. And weekly ethanol production data for the week of 8-4. The week ended at 1.012 million barrels per day. That's up 10,000 barrels from the week before. That's look at ag information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding.
It can be said that this USDA report was very negative to price. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, and with us is Grant Fry from Water Street Solutions. So how negative was it, and what were the figures that you saw, Grant, that were the most negative to price? Yeah, so I, I think the big difference was uh, it was negative versus expectations. If you look at corn, uh, we are down from the trend line number of 170.7 to 169.5, but frankly, uh, expectations were a 166.5, uh, so it was not nearly as good as had been expected, and therefore that's why we're trading off about 12 cents lower as of now. Beans were the real shocker as... Crop conditions really do not support an increase in yield at this time, and yet they increase yield to 49.4 from a trend line number of 48. And the average guess there was 47.4. Overall, in your estimations here, this has uh, really pushed down some uh, prices to breakthrough support levels, hasn't it? Yeah, on uh, on corn, we really have a double bottom holding as of now. The close is going to be very important. If we close through that, it's a pretty negative sign. On beans, uh, we've held the 100-bar moving average pretty well, and that just got blown out of the water unless we have a phenomenal close back to about uh, down 17. We're going to have closed through that for the first time uh, really since uh, you know late June, so pretty pretty damaging. We're talking with Grant Fry of Water Street Solutions. Let's turn our attention to the wheat futures, and it's really led downward by spring wheat. I guess maybe that's a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it wasn't tremendously off expectations. We came in at about a, an expected carry out of 401 million um, bushels. Uh, but I think, once again, a lot, of, uh, a lot of folks who have driven through that area of the country, seen the damage, uh, expected more, expected potentially a surprise there, and just uh, have yet to get it. Uh, USDA is playing their cards pretty close to their vest at this point. Definitely. What about world stockpiles? Did you did you see any figures there that were surprising? Yeah. So and not surprisingly, uh, bean world stocks grew with this revelation that uh, they're at a forty nine point four. Uh, corn and beans were expected to go down. Corn really maintained at about the two hundred million metric ton mark, uh, which is down pretty substantially from last year where we had 228 million metric tons. Um, the, the most disturbing, I think, is, and part of the negativity for wheat, is if you look at they actually raised output for Russia, for the Ukraine, for several other uh, you know, quality wheat producers, uh, which caused that carryout to grow when uh, anticipations were it'd be steady to lower. So that was a big surprise. Grant, let's go to corn and soybeans. If you take this at face value... Is there going to be much possibility of a pre-report or a pre-harvest rally, in your view? Yeah, I mean, I would say regardless of if you buy it or not, uh, this has put kind of a kibosh on um, positivity going into harvest. I mean, it, it really at this point comes down to uh, the USDA is not going to fuel any kind of uh, bullish or in line with crop condition rating view of the crop, and so it's probably going to take combines to tell us what the truth is and and let the market play out. So no, I mean I I'd, I'd say it's it's a long shot at this point to get a sizable rally pre-harvest. Maybe we should just wait for September's report before we make any drastic moves. Yeah, I, I think that's probably what traders are going to do. Thanks. If I had to take a guess. Right. Thanks Grant. Grant Fry, Water Street Solutions. I'm Dewey Nelson. 
It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports with Brandon Betts. Good afternoon, Dirk. In a game that just went final, high drama in the Midwest Regional Little League World Series Championship, the Nebraska team from Kearney, after giving up five runs in the top of the six, then scored four runs in the bottom of the six to win it in a walk-off 6-5. to five. The Iowa team is eliminated, and Kearney will advance to play later in the elimination bracket in the Midwest Regional. Wisconsin has lost senior linebacker Jack Sitchie for the 2017 season after he suffered a knee injury in practice earlier this week. Badger head coach Paul Chris said this morning that Sitchie tore an anterior cruciate ligament during practice on Tuesday. The former walk-on who worked his way up to be a team captain will have surgery on Friday. The Somerset, Wisconsin native was expected to be a major anchor for the Badgers' defense. He had 60 tackles and one and a half sacks last season despite missing the final seven games. Jordan Spieth begins his pursuit of the final leg of his career Grand Slam under a blue sky at the PGA Championship. Scattered storms are in the forecast all week at the Quail Hollow Club, which is likely to make the 7,600-yard course feel even longer. Spieth, needing only the PGA Championship to have all four majors, began his round on the par-5 10th hole. Paul Casey and Gary Woodland are the early leaders at 3-under. Spieth was 1-under through six holes. South Africa's Ernie Els was hoping to make a big splash in his 100th major championship, but the Big Easy is off to a rocky start. The 47-year-old Els shot a four over on the front nine and is tied for 70th or in second to last place among the early golfers on the course as he made the turn. The Cleveland Indians have acquired power-hitting outfielder Jay Bruce from the New York Mets hours after putting all-star Michael Brantley on the disabled list with an ankle injury. After losing Game 7 of the World Series last year to the Chicago Cubs, the Indians want to end their own title drought, which stretches back to 1948, and they believe Bruce can help. They traded minor league pitcher Ryder Ryan to the Mets in exchange. And the NFL has announced that it will begin hiring between 21 and 24 full-time officials from among the current roster of its 124 officials for this upcoming NFL season. The full-timers will be hired at each of the seven officiating positions and may serve on each of the 17 different crews. They will work collaboratively with their assigned crews, the league officiating staff, and the NFL's football-related committees during the offseason. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. There is a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms today, mostly cloudy with a high near 76. Northeast winds at 5 to 10. Tonight, 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms, mainly before 8 o'clock, mostly cloudy with a low of around 54. And then for Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 81. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. The Public Service Commission hearings have closed in Lincoln concerning the Keystone XL pipeline. A Lincoln teen advocates for construction of the Keystone XL pipeline because of the opportunities it could mean for future generations. Lincoln Southeast graduate Dallas Jones Jr. says it's been estimated that construction of the pipeline would support 42,000 jobs across Montana, South Dakota, and Nebraska. And Jones says those jobs mean earnings of $2 billion across those states. Thousands and even tens of thousands of jobs um, from the construction of the pipeline itself. Um, and those $2 billion in earnings um, really would not only support American families, but also the GDP, um, since the project is estimated to contribute around $3.4 billion to the U.S. GDP. Um, so really, I can see that not only is this going to create new jobs during the construction, 
um, but it's also going to stimulate our economy in ways that we haven't really seen before. Jones says those opposed to Keystone XL should be aware that oil is already being transported across the country by rail, a mode that isn't as safe as the pipeline. Jen Klebb of Bold, Nebraska, the leading opponent of the pipeline, says the commission legally has only one choice. Given that fact, there is no evidence to say that TransCanada should be cutting through the sand hills where there are no oil or tar sands pipelines and cutting through the shallow parts of the Ogallala Aquifer. If the Public Service Commission is going to follow the law and if they are going to approve a route, the only logical place then, the only legal place, and an existing energy corridor. The commission is expected to make the final decision on whether or not the pipeline can be built in Nebraska by late September. Prosecutors say a man charged with killing a sheriff's deputy and wounding another while escaping from a western Iowa jail will plead guilty. The Pottawatomie County Attorney's Office says an attorney for Wesley Correa Cormanati informed officials of the change Wednesday. Authorities say Correa Cormanati was being transferred to jail on May 1st when he grabbed one of the deputy's guns, then shot both of them and used the jail van to escape. El Dorado, Kansas officials are trying to figure out what prompted vandals to dye the water of the city's pool. The vandalism caused officials to shut down the pool on Sunday and Monday. El Dorado police say officers were called to the pool Sunday after the water was dyed a reddish-purple color. Get your news first and fast when you like our Facebook page. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network, and today Central Valley Ag is wrapping up its RD Innovation Series plot tours with a stop in Randolph, Nebraska. Let's visit with Mike Zwingman. He is the Agronomy RD Manager for Central Valley Ag. Uh, just a, you know, a few comments about what uh, the three plots that are set up, Cuba, Kansas, Bellwood, Nebraska, here at Randolph, what are you attempting to show growers at these plot tours? You know, really, um, we're trying to take the things we've always learned with Winfield and United in the Anthroplot system and really come to how you put those things together for our CVA grower, given the tools we have. Um, today, up here in Randolph, it's the first look our growers are going to get at our MZB platform, which is going to be our new precision platform moving forward, and how we write all of our prescriptions, be it um, for, for fertility prescriptions and even seeding prescriptions and all the way to multi-hybrid prescriptions, to how we manage nitrogen a little and water a little bit better, those two valuable resources for Nebraska, and how that ties back to that original hybrid selection decision growers will be making in the next 60 to 90 days. Uh, quickly, if you would, talk about that precision ag platform. How is that different than what we've done before, Mike? You know, we've really tried to put their, our trusted advisor back in the position of where that relationship between him and the grower makes for faster fertilizer decisions to where we have a, a platform that we can trust in the way it makes our recommendations based on how we were making them before, but shortens the time between soil sampling to spreading by being able to make those decisions and changes of those prescriptions live with the grower to where the grower is most comfortable with the decision and fully knows what his operational spend is on that that application the minute we make that prescription. Okay. And that kind of goes back to the modeling that you were show, showing growers at, at your stop uh, down in a pit talking about uh, root development, root growth. I like how you uh, related farming to, to flying a, a Top Gun jet. There are some similarities in those two uh, occupations, believe it or not, huh? 
Yeah, you know, th- when we're talking about uh, naval pilots and, and pilots in general are making decisions based on conditions that are changing all the time. Um, when we talk about nitrogen management, we are living in a, a season of chaos where we sit down in October, November, we make a decision with our trusted advisor on what our nitrogen rate and is going to be and how we're going to apply it, and then life happens. The season happens. How do we become better at making those decisions in flow without them disrupting our uh, disrupting our bottom line and really be able to make the best decision possible every day. Okay. Can you talk about the differences from Randolph here compared to, uh, like, let's say, uh, Bellwood, where there was a 14-inch difference in rainfall this year? Huh? You know, Bellwood, these two plots were planted in the same week, about five days apart, um, and that's good and bad. From an emergency standpoint, Bellwood was planted right before a three-and-a-half-inch rain, which we didn't get here at Rand- Randolph. And that soil really cooled off, and we had stand issues. So, from a stand, from the plant population standpoint, it, we're in a lot better shape here than we were at Rant, than we are at Bellwood. But from a, a moisture and kind of nutrient standpoint, we're in a lot better shape at Bellwood than we are here at Randolph because because of those factors of moisture and root development. We really had to work harder to get to the nutrients we needed here, and and so a grower has to be able to manage those situations because of the way summer growers are spread out you know we could have that difference even within five miles between here in wayne or here in norfolk there's an entirely different story on how that rainfalls happen so if you farm five ten miles away you might be managing farms under two different conditions mm-hmm. and what we're trying to build here today is a decision tool or a decision process to help you work work through that field by field acre by acre every day all right. Talk a little bit about root development, the way that the corn roots develop, and, and how that uh, plays into our decision-making in, in nutrient placement. You know, when you start to look at the different root architectures, from the penetrating roots to the fibrous roots to really the massive root system of the corn plant, there's those three different root architectures. Each one of those, based on how nutrients are taken up, either by mass flow or diffusion or uh, root interception, really interacts with how we place those nutrients and how close to the roots we want to get them in proximity and at the time we want to get them to where the plants using them in the peak of their uptake curve those are those are things that are going to help us become more efficient and manage our bottom line at a, a better level from here on out okay just as we kind of wrap up what do you think are the take-home messages uh from year 2017 what do we need to put in our management playbook and look at for future decisions um Pick the technology that's appropriate for you and your operation and that helps you make better decisions, something that you understand, and try to do one thing different next year. Try try to manage your nitrogen differently using more tools, more decision factors. Try not to overcomplicate it, but just make it different. And if you can do those things, I think we start... Um, you, you know, the average grower will change five things in his operation year. We all have those things we we want to look at there's plenty of things to look at here with the technology we have um, to talk to your local field sales agronomist whether it be multi-hybrid downforce clean sweeps on the planter or using the nitrogen model like field forecasting tool tool or climate field view to aqua systems how do you integrate some of those new technologies to really impact your bottom line? Yeah. Good discussion. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chad. Again, we've been, visit- we've been visiting with Mike Zwingman. He is the Agronomy RD Manager for Central Valley Ag and the RD Innovation Series wrapping up with a stop today in Randolph, Nebraska. On the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting.
Next, we talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities about those livestock futures. And uh, they somewhat followed the grains, at least live cattle did. Uh, yes, they did. Uh, but they were uh, kind of sinking uh, before the report, and uh, obviously uh, after the report that uh, didn't help much either. But I think most of it was uh, mainly based upon uh, uh, the uh, cattle trade of yesterday and then the cutouts lower once again uh, at noon after being lower yesterday and uh, just hasn't been a lot of good news so far and uh, uh, we continue to see uh, liquidation so uh, triple digit losses in a few of the cattle con- or I'd say the majority of the live cattle contracts and down slightly uh, in the feeders they did try to rally when the corn uh, broke but uh, then faded at the uh, end to uh, finish just moderately lower. So not uh, not a particularly uh, strong day for uh, for the cattle market. Over in the hogs, uh, finishing mixed, uh, not uh, kind of a quiet trade. The August uh, finishing a little higher than the next uh, couple uh, uh next three contracts a little bit lower and then uh, steady money uh, basically when you get back into the deferred months uh cash seems to be near steady cutouts uh, made a little rebound today and i think that kind of helped but we're uh, we've moved in very close now to the uh, index uh, the latest index uh, so uh, they expire on monday on the uh, august contract, so see how we go from there. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. I'm Dewey Nelson. In the next couple of weeks, Nebraska Farm Bureau is going to be holding policy development sessions across the state. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Jordan Dukes. He is the Director of National Affairs with Nebraska Farm Bureau. Lots of different topics are being discussed at these policy development sessions with members, but one of them is livestock biotechnology. Now, we do talk a lot about biotechnology. Normally, it's when it comes to the crop side. So what does it mean on the livestock side? You know, technology is advancing in the livestock industry just as fast as it is on the on the crop side of things. And so certainly something that producers need to be aware of is that as science advances, we need our policy to reflect what we'd like to see on some of these things. And so um, you look at a lot of the big uh, disease issues that uh, the livestock industry experiences and the amount of money that we spend uh, tracing animals and, and with the trade issues that surround disease issues, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that pop up there. And so what if we, in a lab setting, can, now that the genome of, of livestock has been mapped, what if we can remove some of these uh, uh, genetic traits that make animals susceptible to, say, foot and mouth disease, the PERS virus in hogs, uh, or mad cow disease? If we can remove those traits and, and allow a produ- an animal to be um, you know, immune from those, think of what we could do there. So our policy, um, as technology moves, we're looking to hopefully just get members thinking about that and what they'd like to see. When it comes to those discussions about technology, what other realms should they be thinking about or you would like members to be thinking about when creating policy as well? You know, there's certainly a large trade implication here that uh, members need to consider as to, um, you know, what countries are willing to accept and what they aren't. Certainly, uh, GMO products have been a large contentious issue, especially in the European Union. Um, And so how does, you know, the advent of biotechnology in the livestock industry relate to those? Um, That's an important question we need to maybe consider and talk about also on the consumer end of things you know we went through a large GMO labeling bill last year and what they're looking to do with on the livestock
livestock end of, of genomic editing isn't necessarily a GMO. And so how does that fit into the world of labeling and consumer demand and, and all this uh, and how that works out? So we're just trying to think of an issue that is um, a little bit further away, but nearly not nearly as far away as people may think it is and something um, that we really don't have a lot of policy on that we want members to think about and give us some direction. When it comes to the topics being discussed in Washington, D.C., you said it's not necessarily an immediate issue for this policy, but it's more of a future issue. What are the rumblings about this topic? Is it growing, and how big is it possibly growing? You know, certainly as consumers are looking to get more and more information about the food they eat, um, this is a topic that uh, I think uh, hits that that pretty hard, specifically um, when you see the challenges that exist. Um, you know, there's a lot of push to create a foot-and-mouth disease vaccine vaccine bank and so um, you know that's there's a lot of cost to that and, and something that we actually do, do support but how can we um, maybe look at this from a bigger standpoint is there some is there some uh, technology things that we can do over the next four to five years ten years to maybe have that not be an issue at all and so I think it's definitely something Washington's talking about as technology continues to move and as science continues to advance um, it's something that we will need to begin to address and see what we'd uh, like the regulatory agency agencies to do. A lot of this stuff could be available today if it wasn't for the regulatory structure that exists. So um, is that something we need to tackle as well? All these things I think come together to, to see a topic that is moving rather quickly that is a topic in Washington uh, and is something that uh, Farm Bureau members and the agricultural community as a whole need to begin to wrap their arms around. We're talking with Jordan Dukes. He's the Director of National Affairs with Nebraska Farm Bureau discussing a policy development meetings occurring across the state. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Grain markets sharply lower today in lieu of the USDA report. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network, and we're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. You mentioned the word brutal. That's probably sums it up when they came to this report. Yeah, I, surprises across the board, not just in, in the corn and beans markets, cotton and some of the more foreign markets that we don't really follow uh, also had some weird just weird data come out and obviously corn will be on the, the ha- uh, minds of everybody as we go into the close today you know I mean if the yields are what they say they are the market action was justified and we're probably headed lower um, I look for the test of C360 on December that was the low printed um, a year ago on the contract now uh, you know we are 320 on December 16 at the at the low at the end of the end of August but the difference I think this year is the funds are still kind of in this thing and if they feel like they want to move short there's room to do it. So, you know, I'd like like the price action to the close today. I don't think a ton of folks want to go home short. The weather really isn't that great going going forward. I think the, the temperature is, is what's keeping everything kind of looking good. But, you know, we get a couple spells of heat. Maybe maybe the market will come back. I don't think it's it's likely, though, over the next three weeks. Uh, I'd be a buyer, but I might wait for the end of the month to pass. Soybeans kind of busted right through those support levels, didn't they? Yeah, and beans are obviously the one that, that were, I think corn was bad just relatively compared to the, the outlook of what we could see. Beans were bad across the board just because of the yield being above trend. And that's, you know, you got record acres and you get record production. That's that's going to be something that's going to be ugly. 450 million carryout is not that big, though. And, you know, that's the one thing. It's like, okay, well, you know, she looks very pretty and everything's great. Now what are you going to do for me lately? You know, I think that's where the soybean trade could be going going uh, over the next two to three months. Um, again, like the, like the corn, I think the, the, the month is probably 
a little weaker, although the weather will dictate, I think, beans a little more in the short run. We're still dry, and I think that's the one thing I, I keep in mind here is that things are, are not fantastic in the, you know, the great state of Iowa there. So shorter term, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think I'd be chasing this thing. Spring wheat, kind of surprising when they fell farther than the winter wheat. Yeah, spring wheat is a... Um, it's one of those markets that uh, I think still had some fun length in it, and, and you know we didn't get any abandonment talked about. Right. I, that was kind of the one thing I wanted to see. I I, I wouldn't be that bearish here though on, on the spring wheat. We could fall. The trend trend comes in semi around six eighty. We're at seven oh seven in the September. Um, but boy, I, you know I've been hearing guys talking about LDP coming back into play in wheat, and that's fifty cents away on the board. So I, I I'm bearish today going home. That's for sure. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago.